Welcome to the Books and Bites podcast. Each month, we bring you book recommendations and discuss the bites and beverages to pair with them. I'm Carrie Green, and I'm here with my co-host, Melissa Colston. Hello! So this month, we're talking about books that take you to another place. Sort of inspired by Carrie reading one of her books, she wanted to talk about books that have either a great, great description of a location or... Um, books that you can really feel like you're there. Do you think that's accurate, Carrie? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, it was kind of a book. It was a book I read a while ago, um, a few months ago, Our Homesick Songs by Emma Hooper. And we hadn't done anything yet that fit the the themes of that book. So I just really, and I really enjoyed the book and wanted to find other books with that, that gave me that same strong sense of place and um, feeling like I was somewhere else. Great. Well, I'm excited to hear what your recommendations are. Thanks. I'm excited to hear yours too. Our Homesick Songs by Emma Hooper Our Homesick Songs takes place in the early 1990s in Newfoundland, Canada. The codfish that have sustained the Connors family and their village for generations have disappeared, and Martha and Aidan are taking turns traveling to the oil and gas fields for work. Their children, 14-year-old Cora and 10-year-old Finn, try to live as normal a life as they can. Most of the other families in their village of Big Running have already left. In fact, the Canadian government is going to turn off the remaining villagers' utilities and postal services if they don't leave. Our Homesick Songs is about a family dealing with the loss of their former lives. All of them grieve the close connection to each other, to their fellow villagers, and to the sea. The beauty of the book is witnessing how the Connors cope with their new situation. They tell each other magical stories about mermaids, about jellyfish leading lost boats to shore. They sing and play traditional music. The children engage in other creative acts. Cora steals books from the village library boat and cuts them up to create country-themed rooms in their neighbors' abandoned houses Italy, Mexico, the United Kingdom, and of course we never condone cutting up or stealing library books, <laughs> but in this case with an abandoned village, I think it was a really good use of the library books. Finn tries to bring back the fish by, among other things, driving abandoned cars out on the ice, where he believes they will slowly sink to the seafloor and attract the fish. The book reveals the resilience of the Connors family and their hope and joy in the face of change. The book reads like a fable or fairy tale that you don't want to end. It's one I hope to return to again. Early in the book, the village baker uses up every ingredient he has before leaving town. He puts a note on the door telling the villagers to help themselves. Hooper writes, quote, Martha carried home two dark loaves, one big and one small, a partridge berry tart, and a bag of crescent rolls. Cora carried six oat and cranberry cookies, three white baguettes, and a box of cinnamon buns. 
and Finn carried a blueberry pie, six dinner buns, and one of each of the four kinds of cookies. After everyone had gone, they left the bakery door open so animals and birds could come in and finish the leftovers. Enjoy our homesick songs with whatever baked good brings you the most comfort. I'm planning to try old-fashioned oatmeal raisin cookies from Canadian Jay Steele's book, Right From Around Here, though I'll be swapping out the raisins for craisins. And like the baker, I'll make enough to share. So I actually visited Newfoundland in the early 90s. Um, so I think that was another thing that really initially attracted me to the book was um, reading about something that, that I had seen. Um, and that was something they were talking about a lot. When you were there. When we were there. I'm sure it was a huge, huge problem that they're still recovering from today, right? Yeah, and actually I read an article um, after I read the book. Um, I was wondering what the state of the cod fisheries were, and they actually don't think they're ever going to come back. Oh, wow. Oh, I don't think I understood that to be the case. Yeah, um, they're just, you know, there is some... There has been some resurgence, but they're still, I don't think they've still reopened it to commercial fishing. Well, I'm going up to Nova Scotia this summer, so I'm looking forward to reading this as we get ready to go north, because I've never been to Canada at all. Mm -hmm. I'm excited to to dive into this, our homesick songs, and, and get ready for my trip. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of jealous. <laughs> I think you'll have a great time. Thanks. So my first book for this month is Elizabeth Acevedo's new YA novel, With the Fire on High. The main character is a teenage mom who wants nothing more than to go to culinary school and make the most of her talents in the kitchen. When Imani gets the chance to go to join a culinary arts class during her senior year and the possibility of a week in Spain to learn more about Spanish cuisine, her commitment gets put to the test. There's so many things that I love about this book, from the excellent characterization of Imani and her friends and family, to the way Acevedo describes the places and flavors that fill the book with life. What I liked best about the book, however, is that it doesn't really follow the typical plot arc of your average YA novel. Uh, I kept sort of waiting for the other shoe to drop about Imani's love interest, or her child, or her trip to Spain. Uh, somewhere right around two-thirds of the way into the book, <laughs> but it never really did, and that was such a great surprise. Like, I kept hearing danger music, and it, <laughs> like, that never, I don't know, I'm just so conditioned by other YA books, and, um, you know, they build up their characters, and their all the exciting things that are going to happen with them and their relationships, only to drop some kind of emotional bomb that the characters have to navigate for the rest of the book. It's a perfectly fine way to construct a plot, but it was just so refreshing to get to watch Imani work towards her goals without something awful landing on her already complicated life. <laughs> How refreshing. Um, I, yeah, it was great. It was great, and I, I like to, I want to warn people that it is, <laughs> there isn't going to be any devastating thing happen in her life. She, she gets to achieve her goals, and it's great. Um, 
But as you can imagine, there are so many dishes in this book that you could easily pair with it to help keep the cravings at bay. However, this book actually comes with its own recipes. So I would suggest trying out Amani's quote, when the world tries to break you, break beer bread with those you love. <laughs> her recipes aren't super precise, which is sort of a theme in her story. Um, so it, as far as the serving size, it serves you strength when you feel alone. And as far as how long to bake it, you will bake the bread for the entirety of Sam Smith's last album. <laughs> nice. Yeah. And I will mention for anyone that has read The Poet X, this book is written in prose, not in poetry. And um, I like both. Um, that was a question that one of our Books and Bites program attendees had. Um, I listened to The Poet X, and Elizabeth Acevedo reads it, and I mm -hmm. really loved listening to it. Uh, it's about a a young poet in high school and getting ready for a poetry slam. And that's wonderful, and you should read that as well. Um, but this one is a very different format, and it works, they both work really well. Do, could you tell that she was also a poet in this book? Was her prose more lyrical, or did it just, were it just completely different styles? I would say it was completely different styles. I wouldn't have guessed necessarily that Acevedo is a poet. Um, I think her descriptions are great, but it's not like mm -hmm. overly descriptive to the point that you're like, oh, I bet you got something else going on there kind of thing. It's, mm -hmm. it's still very straightforward mm -hmm. in that way. So, yeah. Cool. Well, um, I asked because the next book that I'm going to talk about, the writer is also a poet, <laughs> um, which I haven't read her poetry, but, um, I did think you could tell there was definitely a lyricism to the prose. Not necessarily, I mean, a lyricism and a spareness that I think you can, you see in poetry as well. That makes a lot of sense. I think for this book, it's it's definitely reads more like a straightforward YA novel where it isn't overly lyrical or spare. Um, yeah, it's more it's more of your average tale, mm -hmm. <laughs> which is not a bad thing, <laughs> especially when it has no huge, no huge emotional plot bomb. <laughs> yeah, it's great. My next book is News of the World by Paulette Giles. News of the World is both a travel book and a book with a strong sense of place. In this case, the Texas frontier of 1870. Captain Jefferson Kyle Kidd, a Civil War veteran, travels through Texas performing live readings from newspapers to audiences with little access to national or world news. And um, I should also give an aside that that character is based on a real character that People actually did this, traveled. Oh, that's good to know. <laughs> traveled around and read the newspaper, <laughs> newspapers to people who didn't have access to, um, to them. While stopped in Wichita Falls, the captain agrees to bring 10-year-old Johanna Leenberger to her relatives who live near San Antonio. Johanna has been living with a Kiowa family as their adopted child for the past four years. 
When she was six, Johanna's German parents and sister were killed by Kiowa raiders, and she was taken captive. But, but when the tribe realizes, quote, that having a white captive gets you run down by the calf, unquote, they trade her for some blankets and silverware. Johanna remembers nothing of her life before captivity, not her language, not her family, and not their customs. She wants only to return to her Kiowa family. But she and the captain embark on a three-week journey across a beautiful and dangerous landscape where they encounter thieves, raiding parties, and other hostilities. And though Johanna resists white culture, she grows close to the man she comes to call Kanta, or grandfather. Both characters transcend stereotypes through the, through the captain's deepening empathy for Johanna. Quote, the night was cold and he felt it in his bones and the cool streaks on his cheeks, Giles writes. He realized they were tears for the trouble that lay ahead of her for all the years of roofs and walls and the peculiar rules against stealing chickens." Unquote. Our database novelist recommends News of the World as a read-alike for true grit, and while there are some similarities, including Hollywood's interest in both books, as Tom Hanks is currently developing News of the World into a movie, the tone of the novels is completely different. True Grit is comically deadpan, and while News of the World has some comic moments, Johanna's dire circumstances demand greater emotional resonance. Giles more than delivers. Another similarity between the books? Meals made almost entirely of corn dodgers and bacon. One of the few exceptions in News of the World are the aforementioned chickens, which Johanna steals for their breakfast. When the captain finds out, it's too late to take them back, so they do indeed roast them over a fire for breakfast. In honor of Johanna's chickens, I recently roasted a chicken in a cast iron skillet that I inherited from my grandfather. Mark Bittman calls this recipe simplest whole roast chicken, and it's about as simple as you can get. But simple is often best, and it has been so long since I roasted a chicken that I forgot how delicious they were. My husband even said it was better than his barbecued chicken. And coming from a South Carolinian, that is definitely a compliment. High praise indeed. <laughs> So you can find that recipe in How to Cook Everything by Mark Bittman, which is in our collection. So my next book is A Darker Shade of Magic by V.E. Schwab. It's the first book in a fully published trilogy that follows Kel, who's one of the last travelers who is able to travel between parallel universes that are all different versions of London. The Londons are all differentiated by their color and relative level of magic, and they're each ruled by a different royal. Kel serves as a messenger that collects and delivers correspondence among the rulers. He also happens to take advantage of his traveling ability to smuggle artifacts between the Londons which is, of course, very dangerous and leads him directly into trouble. In the midst of that trouble, Kel meets Delilah Bard, who in turn robs him, 
saves him, and then forces him to take her from her own gray London back to his red London. I loved how many little descriptive details Schwab is able to work in that help build this magical world. I've seen that both Kel and Delilah are somewhat divisive characters, amongst others who've read the trilogy, but I really enjoyed reading their stories, and their personalities didn't get in the way too much for me. I read the trilogy a few years ago, and I'm a little fuzzy on the details, but I have a vague memory of the whole set as a one that is rich with detail, and that the ending itself was very satisfying. As if Schwab knew where she was headed when she began writing. Which in these days of never-ending series with no end in sight ever, if you're lucky, um, <laughs> I count that as a win. As for what to pair with A Darker Shade of Magic, Cal and Lila don't do a whole lot of eating in the book, but they do a little bit of drinking, and I think a Fuller's London Pride would do the trick. It's an ale that's a bit bitter, malty, and made in London, and would make a fine pair with this tale of parallel Londons and the magic among them. My last book is Hot Milk by Deborah Levy. 25-year-old anthropologist Sophia has quit her PhD program and upended her life to care for her mother, Rose, who is suffering from a mysterious, undiagnosed illness that causes unpredictable limb paralysis. They travel to the coast of Spain so Rose can be treated by a specialist with unconventional methods. As Sophia notes near the beginning of the book, quote, I don't so much have an occupation as a preoccupation, which is my mother, Rose, unquote. Hot Milk is about Sophia's desire to live her own life without hiding behind the observational lens of an anthropologist. Although Sophia loves her mother, the book is also about her desire to stop being controlled by her mother and her illness. The arid, exotic coast of southern Spain provides the perfect backdrop for Sofia to explore her anger and sexuality. She meets and begins having an affair with a German seamstress, Ingrid. She also sleeps with Juan, a Spanish student who works in the medical tent on the beach and who treats Sofia for Medusa stings. The Medusas are a, are a recurring image throughout this lyrical, sensual book, and it is certainly no accident that Levy uses the word for jellyfish that calls to mind the Greek monster Medusa. It's a fitting allusion for a book that also explores the ways in which female bodies and desire are so often demonized. It is also no accident that when Rose's doctor challenges Sophia to, quote, steal a fish to achieve more courage and purpose, unquote, she chooses, quote, a plump Dorado in a rage, unquote. After cleaning the fish, Sophia sees herself in a mirror and realizes she looks, quote, like some sort of sea monster rising from the shells and starfish that decorated the mirror's frame, unquote. And just like we don't encourage the stealing or cutting up of books, we also don't encourage anyone to steal a fish, but perhaps you would also feel bolder to catch, clean, and grill your own Dorado, also known as mahi-mahi or dolphin fish. 
the recipe grilled fish with garlic vinaigrette from the book Spain, A Culinary Road Trip sounds like just the thing. My last book is The Map of Salt and Stars by Jennifer Zainab Jukadar, which essentially contains the stories of two girls who are separated by 800 years and their lives and travels around the Middle East and North Africa. In the, It's kind of hard to explain because the, the stories fit together in a like the, the storytelling is a really interesting way, is done in a really interesting way. So what I consider to be the main character is Noor, an American-born girl whose family has moved back to Syria just before the Syrian civil war broke out. Her family is forced to flee homes when their house is shelled, and we follow Noor's path in search of refuge. The other story, which, like I said, it's kind of hard to categorize because they're both, like, there's e an equal amount of each story, mm -hmm. um, but the the second story is one that was told to Noor by her father, and Noor is sort of retelling it in the book. So it's, it's like a story within a story, but it's not the typical way of doing that, where you have a frame and it's, I don't know. Mm -hmm. It's not like many other books I've read storytelling-wise, and that's one of the reasons I really liked it. Um, so anyway, the, the second story is about Rawia, a young woman who leaves home to apprentice to the renowned mapmaker Al-Idrisi as he researched and created what ultimately became the most accurate world map of the time for King Roger II of Sicily, who commissioned the work in 1138. The stories of Rawia and Noor are both told in each chapter, which serves to break up what is sort of a, a traumatic story following Noor and transforms what would be two relatively short tales if separated it into one integrated and weighty narrative. There were so many aspects of the Map of Salt and Stars that I enjoyed, but I think I most appreciated Jukadar's characterization of Noor. She has synesthesia and is incredibly empathetic to those around her, so I loved reading her descriptions of sounds and colors and how she translates them into meaning for herself. Like I said, it's 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 not your average story, um, and I there are aspects of both stories that I liked, but I also really liked the way that she made them work together. Um, so it's it's not like they're completely distinct, and they don't, you know, the the tellings they mirror each other, and I I really liked the way that she worked them together. Um, to go along with the map of Salt and Stars, either track some down where you live, or try your hand at making the rich and savory sviha. Sviha is the dish that Noor's mother is preparing at the beginning of the novel, and it essentially amounts to a small disc of dough that is baked and topped with a spiced and fragrant ground lamb mixture. Sviha are made into lots of different shapes. I took, did a quick Google search and I found a whole bunch. Uh, but you can find a recipe for a parcel-shaped version of Sviha in Julie Tabuli's Lebanese Kitchen by Julie-Anne Sagir. If you're local to the Nicholas Filler Lexington area, we have the very excellent Middle Eastern bakery, The Mill, 
on Southland Drive, which sells a wide range of bread and pastries, as well as savory snacks like sfija and my personal favorite, Zatar pizza. Yum. <laughs> it's one of the best things I've ever eaten. I highly <laughs> encourage everyone to go there as soon as you can. If you can <laughs> eat bread, go to the go to the mill. <laughs> And speaking of a strong sense of place, if you'd like to learn more about the history and people of Jessamine County, tune in to our new podcast series, The Locust Grove Oral History Podcast. It's a four-part series featuring stories and conversations remembering those who are buried in Locust Grove, an African-American cemetery here in Nicholasville, Kentucky. It will culminate in a self-guided audio tour of Locust Grove Cemetery. Find it on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at jesspublib.org slash locust grove. Thanks for listening to the Books and Bites podcast. We record in the recording studio at the Jessamine County Public Library. You can find out more about the library and our recording studio on our website at justpublib.org. Our theme song is The Breakers by Scott Whitten from his album In Close Quarters with the Enemy. You can find out more about Scott and his music on his website, adoreforadesk.com. 